Welcome to Hubstaff's Agency Advantage Podcast, hosted by Andy Baldacci. Each week, Andy interviews a successful agency owner who shares their proven strategies to help you build and grow your agency. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to episode 39 of Hubstaff's Agency Advantage Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Baldacci, and today I'm talking with Eric Baum of Blue Leads. One of the struggles of hosting this podcast is I know listeners are all at different places in the life cycle of their agency. Some have just made their first hire, while others have a growing team, and others still are as big as they ever want to get. This makes picking topics to cover really difficult, because as agencies grow, their problems change. In today's podcast, Eric shares how those problems evolved over the growth of Blue Leads from a solo practice all the way up to the current team of 17, and what he's preparing for as they continue to grow into the future. If you're looking for a refreshing take on how to overcome the evolving problems as your agency grows, then this is the episode for you. So without further ado, here's Eric. Eric, thanks for coming on the show today. Happy to be here. So you have quite the interesting background. Before building a HubSpot Diamond Partner Agency, you ran a successful plumbing company. Can you tell us how exactly that transition happened? Yeah, so that's a, a great story. As a matter of fact, um, this agency is the sixth business that I've owned in the last 25 plus years. Um, I've owned a couple businesses in the sewer contracting, sewer manufacturing space, and that's how I got into the plumbing um, arena and actually owned two different plumbing franchises, one here in Tampa and one in Orlando. But how that transitioned into the agency world was – Way back when, before the recession, 2005, 2006, I was spending a ton of money on Yellow Page advertising and losing my shirt, quite frankly, because it was costing me too much for cost per call. That's our cost per lead back in the day and not making enough on a job average. And so I dipped my toes in the water with digital marketing, right? I started doing pay-per-click advertising. I found somebody, hired them in-house to do so and create a website, you know, more so than the, than the uh, franchisor was given us and s- started doing the PPC lead gen thing way back when, before content marketing, before inbound marketing really came on the scene. And so I did it out of necessity. And then all the other franchisees across the country who I was friends with because of the manufacturing company that I had prior to that, that had them as customers, I knew them all. They're like, how are you doing that? And so me being not a plumber by nature, but a business person by nature was like, wait a second, let's take my first employee, which was internal employee, pivot that individual to a new company. And immediately I had like 30 plumbing companies as um, clients, very low end stuff though, like literally $250 to $500 a month retainers back then doing just um, like templated sites, couple page sites. SEO, little bit of pay-per-click advertising for them. When did that transition from you? Because now, nowadays, you're a HubSpot partner. You are fully kind of embodying the inbound mindset. So when did you go from focusing on just SEO and PPC to realizing or at least noticing that there was more out there? Yeah, so I found the light back in 2008, really. So I started, Blue Leads started in 2009. In 2008, it was like ball marketing group um, when that first employee moved over and I found HubSpot in 2008 and I initially found them 
by um, HubSpot TV, which Karen Rubin and Mike Volpe were on. And, and every Friday afternoon at 4 o'clock, I'd watch. I'd kick back in my office, you know, drink a beer and be like, man, let, let me you know, learn a little bit about what these guys are doing. And I was like, these guys are on to something. Like, I totally bought in. So at that point, I was like, I've got a shift. And over the next six months, culminating at the you know, beginning of 2009, I completely rebranded the company and started getting away from um, all the just straight SEO and stuff and said, we're now going to do inbound marketing. I'm not exactly sure what the hell that is, but, but these guys are on to something and I'm going to bet on this horse. And, you know, I just happened and got lucky that I bet on the right horse at the right time. Yeah, that was a good horse to bet on. Yeah, but it completely changed the way we did business to a point where, like, we have one plumbing company that we still work with, been with us for five years now, I guess. But, like, none of we our business models changed completely. So our average retainer now is $6,000 a month as opposed to $500 a month. Um, but the value that we're bringing that client is dramatically greater, right? Yeah, and I'm guessing it wasn't just like an overnight thing. Like you talked about being exposed to the the process of it and then taking your time to kind of fully go all in. But for your clients that you were working with, was it just like, all right, guys, we're doing inbound now? Or like what was that process like of transitioning them or even just growing beyond them? Painful. So I think everybody that's listening to this can identify with this, right? When you see something as an agency owner, whether you've got 20 people or 60 people, or it's just you and another person, and you want to make a shift, you want to pivot your business, you've got this great idea, but it's usually unproven at that point, right? And so it's kind of a leap of faith, and you've got to do a really good job of selling this new dream to your clients. And it worked for some clients, is specifically the new clients, you know, the new people that came on board. We'd be like, this is what we're doing, and this is how much it is, and here's all the wonderful things that inbound marketing is going to do for you and your company, right? Because you're kind of starting with a clean slate with them. Yes, exactly. That was easier. The other clients, you know, current customers, we lost some natural attrition. We're corporate, you know, franchisees, and they brought, they put the end to having those external websites. So those, that was like a natural attrition. But some of the clients, we just said, you know what, this isn't our business model anymore. We're, we're not going to do this anymore. And, you know, internally, like we weren't making any money. I didn't know it at the time, but because I was like, hey, this is great. We got, you know, 30 clients and $300 a piece or whatever. This is fantastic. Like I had no idea what the economics needed to be in order to make that scalable. And once I saw that, I was like, well, this doesn't make any sense at all, right? So, but it was painful because making that transition, it was very gradual. It was, okay, now we're going to charge $750 a month instead of $500 a month. And then we're going to do $1,000 a month and then $1,500 and $2,000. And here we are today, you know, our, our lowest client who we've had for the, almost the entire time is still at $1,500 a month, and our largest client is at $32,000 a month. So, so there's a big disparity there, but I have some loyalty to some of the people that have been with us for so many years. I'm just like, yeah, whatever, you know? One of the big things that lets an agency really grow is having kind of the dependable revenue of retainers, of ongoing work like that. And because it's always easier to sell to your current clients and find new ones, but the other side of that is that when you do have 
a major change or you're changing kind of what you're doing or also just your billing, you have an uphill battle of getting the people who have been with you from the beginning to accept that. Yeah, that is super tricky and we haven't quite figured it out yet. You'd think we would over the last seven years, but um, the reality is we haven't. And we think we're moving towards a new pricing model actually starting in August in the next couple of weeks. We're finalizing now that, that may help us with that upsell our current customer base. Um, but again, that's yet unproven and we have not done a good job of that i.e. we still have a $1,500 a month client. Now, what we do for that client compared to a $4,000 a month client is world apart, right? But but we still haven't been able to upsell that client at $1,500 right. a month, right? Like <laughs> something doesn't compute there. But So once you started getting those clients outside of the plumbing industry, outside of the ones that were with you from the beginning, where were they coming from? All over the place. So originally, things shifted initially it was word of mouth and our own inbound marketing efforts drove the majority of things and and then once we started um hubspot in the first year or so of um of us being a partner they actually created the partner program officially and so once we started you know creating a brand name for ourselves and really moving up the ranks in the HubSpot community and doing good work and getting good referrals. So the, the seesaw kind of shifted a little bit for us. We started getting more and more work from HubSpot, from the people inside of HubSpot that referred customers to us, either their prospects that needed to outsource to an agency um, before they bought the software or their current customers that were struggling that needed an outside agency to help with, or referrals from um, from our current HubSpot clients, or outside people that just knew they were looking for a HubSpot partner, right? So, like, so it was kind of weird because up until that point, we were eating our own dog food, right? We're like, yeah, man, we're cranking, we're getting leads from inbound marketing, we're doing all this stuff, and then all of a sudden, we woke up one day and we said, wow, half of our client base or prospects is coming from HubSpot, right? And and that's about what it is still to this day. And I you know, that's not necessarily a bad thing, right? It's it's a good thing because we're doing such a good job for the HubSpot clients, but you know, about 25 to 30% of our current prospects come to us from our own inbound marketing efforts. And about, you know, whatever the rest is, 25 to 15% or so, um, come from, like, repeat business, from clients that have come back to us that maybe we've done one-off projects for, or referrals and just being out in the community. So, I know, you would think, be like, wow, we should be driving the majority of our leads from, from our own inbound marketing efforts. Now, had we not had HubSpot be such a big fan of us, then we would be completely lopsided with our own inbound marketing efforts, right? But I guess that's like a good thing and a bad thing, right? Exactly. It wasn't that the inbound was ineffective. It was that you had this other channel kind of grow unexpectedly. Yeah, exactly. So to give you an example, because 
it's not just leads. So I don't want people to be confused. So on average, we generate between 160 and 170 leads a month for our own inbound marketing efforts. But the problem with that is that, you know, those are about, you know, the vast majority are marketing qualified leads. So they're in our database and we're marketing to them on a consistent basis and only a, a per, small percentage you know, 10%, let's say, are SQL, sales qualified leads, and opportunities. But we get more of the only thing that we get from HubSpot is sales qualified leads and opportunities, right? So it's disproportionate to what actually turns into a sale as to actually leads generated. And the one thing I do want to kind of back up on is that Especially like I, I've lived in Boston for the last four years before moving down to Tampa, have been kind of in this world for a bit. So for me, like HubSpot is something like I immediately know what it is. I immediately am familiar with inbound marketing. But for those who aren't as familiar, they might have heard it, but they're in their kind of SEO world or their PPC world and aren't as familiar. How would you describe this at a high level what the inbound methodology actually is? It is a holistic way of educating your um, prospect about your product and service based on their pain points and their needs. And it's done through content, right? So understanding what their problems and their pain points are, and then creating content in the form of blog posts and eBooks and tip sheets and guides and slide shares and podcasts and video and all those things that answer their questions. And once they come to your site and they consume that content, then you ask them for a piece of their information, right? So you get them to click on a call to action and, and download something else um, in direct proportion to the value that they receive. So you ask for a couple of things that's the same value of the information that you're giving them respectfully, right? So then once you get them in your database, then you continue to market to them and give them information. Now, the key to inbound marketing, unlike some of the other marketing techniques is you're giving, 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 and you're waiting for them to raise their hand and say, hey, I need your service. I want to talk to you. So that goes back to like we generate 160, 170 leads a month, but we never really reach out to those individuals. We don't call them and say, hey, we noticed you downloaded this ebook. Like we only call them if they ask to be called. So it's a very laid back approach, but when done effectively and putting the lead nurturing campaigns in effectively, it creates this humongous pipeline for you. Right. And then when you do have that conversation, when they do reach out, it's a much different conversation than if you're cold calling or anything like that. Yeah. You're a trusted advisor at that point. They're like, you know what? We've been consuming your stuff. Right. That's what they normally say. We've been reading your stuff and it's, you know, you guys know what you're doing. We need your help. That's a much easier conversation to have than, hey, Mr. You know, Jones, I noticed you downloaded an ebook and I was wondering what you had questions about. Like nobody does that in today's world. Right. Like, right. Or even just out of the blue, just saying, hey, I was looking at your website. It looks like it can use an update. Like, how about check out these services? Like it's. It's an entirely different conversation because, like you said, you're a trusted advisor. And uh, like I said, yeah, we've been checking out your stuff. Like that's the go-to phrase. Like they've read your stuff. They know how you think. So it's not even trying to convince them about that. They're already on board. Yeah, it's, um, it's a much easier consultative 
sales process. Um, and quite frankly, you know, it fits my personality as an agency owner. Like I've done hardcore sales stuff in my past. I've worked for MCI and American Express Financial Advisors and double dialed and been like, yeah, you requested information. No, I didn't. Well, let's talk about your financial future, right? Like I've done that stuff. That stuff is hard and nobody wants those phone calls. Nobody wants to make those phone calls. Exactly. And I think especially for a lot of the listeners of the show who who started out as freelancers or who wanted to build an agency but came from it because they really liked doing the work. They didn't like the sales. They didn't like all that process. And this seems like a great fit for that inbound marketing because it is, like you're saying, it is laid back. It's not in your face. It's proving your worth before having those uh, more salesy conversations. But even when they're when you have them, it's still night and day between a cold call. Yeah. Now, you know, it takes a little bit longer to grow that way, right? Mm-hmm. So that's the downsize to it, but that's okay. If you were starting an inbound agency from scratch and didn't have that sort of, I know the clients were smaller, but you had 30 clients kind of paying you money. If you didn't have that, how would you have approached building an inbound agency? I don't know that I would have, to be honest with you. Like, because I, um, I don't say, hey, this is uncharted blue ocean territory. This is what I need to do. I've got this great idea that nobody else has. I guess I'm not that adventurous. I'm more of the guy that's like, here's an opportunity that's being underserved, and I can make money at it immediately. I've never Any of the businesses that I've started and or co-founded with other partners, we've walked through the front door day one being profitable with no seed money besides, you know, like, hey, we we brought five grand to the table or whatever, right? So it's not, from my perspective, it's not like, hey, I'm going to do this and be and struggle. It's like, is there an opportunity? Is it underserved? Do I have business immediately? Do I have a contract? Do I have a customer? If so, great. Can I build on that? Let's do it. Not like, I'm going to start this business and I'm going to figure out how to get customers. Like, that doesn't make sense to me. You can't pay your bills that way. I work with... Uh, at Hubstaff, we're a bootstrap startup. And so I talk to other startups all day. And it's funny, there's the huge difference in mentality between a VC funded startup where profitability is not a thought. It's nothing that they need because money's still coming and money's there. But when you are doing this and you have to pay the bills and no one else is just going to cover them for you, it, you're right that you do have to have a different mindset entirely. You absolutely do. And I'll give you a perfect example of this. I spoke to a, an agency owner the other day, um, called me for advice. And, I, and again, to your listeners, I'm happy to hop on the phone with people and say, okay, here's what I would do in your situation. He said, you know, it's me and my wife. We've got some freelance copywriters and designers. We've got, you know, X number, less than 10 clients. We're f- struggling to figure out how to get to the next level and and get the right margins. And so he gave me the particulars. I said, the solution's easy. You don't need to focus on how to tweak things and get your margins better. You need to sell your ass off because you need more sales, and sales is the only thing that's going to fix that. And I think some startup businesses don't take that to heart enough. They're, you know, Growing an agency or growing any business can be messy, and you're going to make mistakes, and you're not going to be as profitable in certain areas along the way when you're growing quickly. But you need sales. Right. Without that, that's that's the driving force. And as you grow, you can then 
work on you're just by at scale you're going to have some benefits of improving your margins lowering your inefficiencies just by being at scale but you'll never you don't want to prematurely optimize you want to actually make sure you get there first yeah exactly so you know i'm pretty fortunate at this point i'm at a plateau got 20 people x number of clients we're doing very well and we we are we're tweaking and optimizing and figuring out how to be better, but at the same time, in parallel, um, we're growing as well, right? We're not taking our foot off the gas. Yeah, because one thing I want to ask you is that as an inbound agency, I know you get a lot of leads that we talked about from the HubSpot partnership program and just from being in that ecosystem, but you still get a significant amount from inbound marketing itself. How do you stand out? in the inbound marketing world when there are so many other agencies trying to do the same thing, trying to put out similar blog content, trying to do similar things as you. The only good, I wish I had a silver bullet for you. The only good answer that I can say is that you've got to have that trust with the client initially. Everybody is doing, you know, at a certain point, when you get to a certain level at an agency and you're being compared to your peers Typically, they're all about the same, right? Nobody wants to hear that, but that's the truth. It, somebody may, one agency may specialize in a different um, vertical, or they might have more experience in your industry, or they might be better at design than video. Or So there may be some slight variations, but at the end of the day, it's the people inside of the agency that's going to be working with the people inside of the client and those people need to build that trust in the sales process. And if that's what makes the deciding factor that I've seen. In the very beginning, when you first started getting into inbound marketing, there was a lot of low-hanging fruit. It was almost as if if you tried, if you put out a blog that taught something and try to instead of trying to sell, you're going to stand out. You're going to be different. The bar was a lot lower. But as it gets more competitive, like it does sticking in a local area, make it easier for, for you to kind of get your content read? Like, why would someone read your ebook rather than another inbound marketing ebook or email course or whatever the actual kind of asset is? Only because it's in front of their face at that given moment, right? I mean, it's, it's about getting found, and that goes way back to the original pitch of HubSpot and inbound marketing. Like, first, you have to get found, and it's literally as simple as that. If we're in front of them at the right time and we, with the right information, then they'll download the ebook and say, okay, great. I may or may not want to have a conversation with these individuals. You may get some companies that, you know, some individuals that will download 10 different ebooks from 10 different agencies and try to compare them all. That's not, when we see that, we typically remove ourselves from that conversation right out of the gate because we don't even if we're we know and the person's come to us and said hey our board of directors and our sop requires that we get three competitive bids so to speak right we don't we don't want to know about that we're just like okay well here's the next call is going to be about this right we're going to dive into your analytics and your metrics like we never compete we don't ask about the competition. We don't want to know about it. We stick to our lane. We stick to know what, what we know and how we do things. And if we're a good fit for them at the end of the day, that's fantastic. If we're not, no hard feelings. Was that a mindset you had from day one, like sort of 
not even just the mindset, but also the processes, the knowing how to handle that. Was that something you kind of started out with or how did you develop that over the growth of your agency? I guess it's just a mindset that I had as an individual going into it. Um, and, you know, whether I knew that innately or read it somewhere and just absorbed it, I, I don't know. But, like, I just know that I don't like to react to things. All the bad decisions in my life uh, I've made because I reacted to something and based out of, like, fear of something, right? And so once you start going down that road of, like, oh, we're up against such and such, what do we need to do? Like, that's a fear-based decision. I don't want to do that. I want to say, okay, here's how we do it. And almost like a blinders on a racehorse, right? Now, we're not a racehorse. We're more like, you know, a donkey just go, trying to get there, right? But, like, that's how our mentality is. We're like, we're so focused on, okay, great. Here's what we need to do to fix what's broken inside of your your marketing efforts. And here's the results that we can um, expect. And we don't even listen to the noise. And I guess it, that's been driven by me. The reason behind it, I, I don't know. I think that's kind of that existential question. Like, yeah, you're not always sure where it came from. It's just you picked it up and developed it yourself along the way. But I, I think that's a good mindset to have because so many there can be so many distractions along the way. And it's not even just during the pitch. It's just in running and growing an agency. There's going to be so many shiny objects that can get you off the path of growth, the path that you've built that works for you. And we talked about this before the call, but you were saying about how you, you're not the smartest guy out there, but you can grind, you can hustle, and you can do the work day after day. And by not kind of sticking to the game plan, it's really hard to do that. So having that mindset, it seems like, goes hand in hand with that as well. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, it, it really is just about staying in your lane and knowing what you're good at um, and not worrying about what everybody else is doing. I get that. People ask me all the time, like clients, they're like, well, what do we need to, you know, we need to look at our competitors every week. And I'm like, no, you don't. Yes, we need to do a competitor analysis. And yes, we need to review them and see what's going on in the marketplace, you know, on a monthly or quarterly basis. But we do not need to drive our own strategy based on what your competitors are doing. Stay in your lane, do what you know to be right, and you we will succeed. And invariably that happens. The people that get distracted on what their competitors are doing never end up doing well. The external factors you can't account for them. You can you want to be aware of them to some extent to see just what's going on, but you don't want to be obsessed with it. You don't want to let it get you out of your lane. But internally, as you're growing as an agency, a lot's going on as well. So what were some of those internal struggles that did take you out of the lane or at least made you think like, all right, we got to figure this out. Like what were some of those early on things that you had to overcome to stay on this growth trajectory? So I'm going to give you two answers to this question. First, I'm going to start with the second answer, I guess. I'm going to be a hypocritical because although I'm not concerned about what my competitors are doing in the sales process and as we go through that with a prospect, I do am a huge fan of modeling and building and learning from what other people before me have created and done, right? So the other inbound marketing agencies and other agencies in general – that have built businesses, successful businesses, and done really well, you know, I've asked them, and some of them 
you know, I've written books and done training sessions and we take those, right? And, and so we internalize and take what works for us and what doesn't work and kind of um, make that our own, right? So I don't, I want to be clear that like, there's a lot of things to learn from other agencies out there and not to be, you know, we're not conceited again. Well, I'm not the smartest guy in the world. I just know like, okay, this is going to work. Let's put it in place, right? This is a great idea. That person's willing to share that with us. Let's use it. That's fantastic, right? But in the first answer to your question is some of the difficulties that internally that we faced along the way was, okay, once we found out what inbound marketing was, okay, well, how do you actually do it, right? Like that was the biggest one right out of the gate. How do we actually create an inbound marketing campaign? Because remember, you know, our experience was create HTML template sites, keyword stuff them for SEO, right? And, right, at that point, yeah. yeah. And, and do a PPC campaign. And you were rock stars. And so then all of a sudden we came along and we're like, oh, writing blog posts? What the? Like, I have no idea how to, like, so... What we did, again, we leveraged HubSpot, and it could have been anybody. It could have been, um, you know, the guys, I forget the, the gentleman's name that started the Content Marketing Institute, um, you know, and the, the movement around content oh, yeah, marketing. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I think it's Joe Paluzzi. But yeah, Joe Paluzzi, yeah. exactly. Like, it could have been him that we modeled. We just happened to fall under the HubSpot umbrella, but HubSpot knew that. That was so key to their success is they created the inbound marketing and what they did to, for their customers and more importantly for their partners was say, hey guys, here's the step-by-step processes and how you do all this stuff. So they built a huge library and training um, academy to teach us how to do it. So man, I, that's what I did. I leveraged them and then came along throughout, you know, as agencies started getting going, I started reading and learning a lot of stuff. Then some of the senior inbound marketing agencies that we were well behind, guys like Paul Rotzer, PR 2020, and Mike Lieberman at Square Two Marketing, and you know Bob at Impact Branding, and and John over at um, Kuno Creative, like those guys started putting out content. Some of them even training sessions, like Paul Rotzer created Marketing Agency Insider Training. Like I was really happy to give him my 600 bucks or whatever it was. To, so we could learn how he was doing stuff. And he was very generous to put that training program in place. So it was those internal processes initially that were the struggle. And then after that, it was really figuring out, okay, what are the specific team members that I need to put in place and at what times at different levels, like one to five team members, you know, at that five to 10 team member level. And then again, you know, getting up to 20, 20, I think the most we've had is 22 people so far. Um, and what does that team structure look like? There becomes a certain point where obviously you can always improve and you want to stay up to date and you want to make sure your skills don't get rusty. But at a certain point, it's no longer going to be having the skills that you provide your clients, improving them is never going to be, is no longer going to be your most burning concern. You have other challenges you have to face, namely grow, literally growing the agency's staffing. And so what were some of those 
because I know you said, yeah, the different kind of standpoints from five to 10 and then up to 20. What, how did things change in practical terms? Like what were some of the employees that you maybe originally didn't think you needed, but like, was there anyone you hired and you're like, I wish we would have hired them months ago or a year ago? Or was there ever a position where you're like, Hey, like we waited way too long to make this hire. Yeah, it seems like my whole agency journey is made <laughs> up of those, right? Like I hate when people like listening to this is like, that guy's got it all figured out. I'm like, no, I still wake up every morning. I'm like, oh, crap, man, that was a bad decision I made last week. And I should have done that. You know, I should have done something different and done it six months ago. Right. Like it just, it's never ending, but you know, in a more direct answer to your question, it's, like initially, from a structure standpoint, I would have scaled and made hires in a different order. And here's a, a, an example. Like we started out and um, after the first hire that I had a guy by the name of Mike Patino, and he was like basically could do everything, right? But besides that unicorn, um, then I hired like an IMC, inbound marketing consultants, like a, an account manager. And I kind of did that backwards. So what I should have done was hire a copywriter as my first hire and say, okay, copywriter, here's what I want you to do. But in three to six months, you know, I want you to be an account manager. So I would look for a person that's great at copywriting, but that has a skill set to be an account manager. Because what that does is it allows you to be profitable from a return on investment on that employee team we call them team members that team member right out of the gate they're producing content which any good copywriter can can learn a business fairly quickly and get in there and start producing content but an imc an account manager takes a good three to six months before the real before you can hand over the reins um and and in fact it takes a little bit longer when you're working with higher level clients you don't want to put somebody who's only been there three or six months on an account that's paying you eight or ten thousand dollars a month there's not enough um, trust there and experience. So I would have hired a copywriter first, turn him into an IMC, then got a designer on board and then another copywriter, right? And then scaled that way. And at some point I waited too long to bring on a full-time salesperson because I inhibited my growth. Um, because when you get to a point, it's easy and the owner of the agency's passionate about his business, right? Like I still, every day, my wife's like, when are you going to think about retirement? Like we were talking about retirement. I'm like, what the hell are you talking about? Like, I want to do this till I'm 90, right? Like I absolutely love it. And and she's like, well, there's not that many 70 year old agency. And I was like, yeah, well, I'll be the first one. So, but my point was like it, when you're the agency owner, you can sell and you're passionate about that, right? If that's your personality, and mine is that way, if you can't tell by now. But I waited too long to put a full-time salesperson in place. And that stopped my growth at some point because I just didn't have the time and I wasn't being effective as a sales full-time salesperson myself because I was also focused on deli- client deliverables and managing the team. And, and that was a big miscalculation on my part. I'm going to stop Eric right there for a quick word from our sponsor. But when we come back, he's going to share why not hiring a salesperson was such a miscalculation. So hang tight. We'll be right back. The Agency Advantage podcast is brought to you by Hubstaff. Hubstaff makes time tracking software for remote teams so that you can stop tracking time with spreadsheets or whatever else your team decided to use that week and start getting the insights you need that can only come from having accurate data all in one place. 
Our best clients are agency owners. And while they love the accountability that comes with it, it's sort of like Upwork, but without the crazy fees, where they really find the values by being able to connect Hubstaff with their project management tool to see how much time it really takes to deliver each part of a project. Think of it as Google Analytics for your team. I've been absolutely blown away by how many times an agency owner has come up to me and said, Andy, we started using Hubstaff a month ago, and after looking over the data, we realized we've actually been losing money on one of our most popular services. If you don't know what your real profit was in your last project, then you'd need to try Hubstaff out. To say thanks for tuning into the show, Hubstaff is offering all of our listeners a 30% discount on all of our plans. All you need to do is head over to try.hubstaff.com forward slash podcast and use the coupon code ADVANTAGE. That's try.hubstaff.com forward slash podcast and coupon code ADVANTAGE. All right, let's get back to Eric. I usually ask this question a little bit later, but it, it fits in perfect. Is that so? What do you not spend enough time on? And so I'm guessing it's if if you're hiring someone to help take the sales role, not away from you, but to help kind of augment that. What are you? What were you going to use the time it freed up to do? Yeah, so I'm still in that position, right? And I've had a salesperson on board for almost two years now. Um, Ultimately, you know, we're. A, I would like to focus my time more on growing the agency, figuring out ways to grow the agency, um, and you know that might be top level, you know, PR, right? Speaking engagements and brand awareness stuff, um, but also like, you know, spend more time with some of my clients too, because I've noticed, you know. That's a huge part of things when you're an agency. And as you grow, you can kind of lose sight of that and that connection with your clients. And I think um, if I had to pick one area that I'd want to spend more time in, it's with direct communication with the CEOs um, and the owners of the businesses that are clients because I think that's invaluable. And that's come to bite us in the butt couple of times in the past what this how so is it just you weren't you didn't realize the relationship was on thin ice or what was it yeah so um this has been a this year this has been a growing pain that we've learned very acutely we've lost a couple of clients due to this um what the owner of a business and i say owner of a business right so like if it's a 10 a 10 million dollar less company you're typically dealing with the owner of the business when you know, they're your direct point of contact. But once you get into that mid-level, medium, 50 to 150, 250 million in revenue, you're typically, your direct point of contact is usually a CMO, right, or VP of marketing, or maybe even a marketing manager. Um, and the person making the call, the person writing the check, not literally, but at the end of the day, is the CEO or the owner of that company. And what they're concerned about is, ROI, right? As am I from a CEO standpoint and owner of a business, I'm concerned about ROI and a few of the key performance indicators, right? That I, I want visitors, leads, customers, right? Cost of customer acquisition, things like that. Those are what the CEO is concerned about and driving sales, right? And sometimes CMO or VP of marketing is more focused on activity. And what we can do as agencies, 
is lose focus on why they're paying us. And it's to derive results, not activity. And so we've learned the hard way with a few clients, like the CMOs, like, yeah, everything's fine and dandy. And oh no, don't worry about increasing the leads. You know, I want to focus on this trade show thing that we're doing or this other event, blah, blah, blah. We're like, okay, great. We feel like we're being useful. But at the end of the day, you know, at the end of that six months or a year or whatever it is, the CEO is like, hey, wait a second, we haven't driven any sales. Where's the numbers, right? So we've been cognizant of that over the last year and made a big shift in the way we operate. But that has come to bite us, you know, in the butt a couple of times because you think like you're doing a great job and you're doing all this stuff and making the client happy. But at the end of the day, if you don't have that direct line of communication with that CEO, he's like, no. We don't need these people. Why are we paying them? We're not making any money off them. Simple as that. At a smaller scale, a lot of times the kind of mindset for, for freelancers, for individuals or even smaller agencies is you don't always want to be an order taker. You don't want to just do what the client is exactly telling you to do, just follow this because that's almost a commodity. The service the, that you can charge a premium for comes from when you can look at the business results. That becomes even more important when you're not, like you said, not dealing with the actual person who is signing the checks because you need to make sure the buyer is happy. But you also need to make sure that their boss is happy with your service. So there are, when you are selling to those bigger companies, there are a lot of different stakeholders that you need to make sure you're appeasing. But at the end of the day, if you're making them more money, if you can show an ROI, they're going to be happy. Yeah. And, and so, you broke it down very effectively. As we grew as an agency, we were dealing in the initial first years, we were dealing with smaller companies where we were de- dealing directly with the owner. And that owner knows what we're doing. And if they tell us they want this, then they're happy because they know what they've gotten. As we move to the large, mid-sized and larger companies, there's that disconnect. And that's what we didn't pay enough attention to, you know, a few years ago that really over the last year presented a couple of, of problems. And, you know, we've adjusted since then. But we're like, well, how'd that happen? Right. <laughs> like, but now we know. No. And that's the thing is I'm sure a lot of people are listening and they assume sometimes you, you can have guests on who aren't necessarily more reserved. But just the way people tell stories, usually it seems like there aren't those kind of shocking moments where you're surprised about why something's going wrong. People like to talk as though they have it all figured out, but most people don't. Almost nobody does. It's And you learn a lot of times through getting burned on something. Yep, without a doubt. One thing I'm curious about, though, before we wrap things up, is what do you see as as a future Blue Leads? I know you said you want to focus on growth, but where what's the end goal for you with that? Man, that's a great question. So I don't have an exit strategy. Some comp- some agencies are like, I'm going to grow to you know 10 million, and then I'm going to get acquired by one of these larger traditional agencies. I love what I do, and I like to drive the ship and be able to make the decisions for my team that is in their best interest. So I guess that's a long-winded way of saying I don't want to sell. Right, whether that's bringing in VC money to grow or sell to another agency, because I'm really happy with how I treat our customers and our team members, and I don't want to. I've seen that deteriorate when you sell, right? And so, 
So for me, I want to grow, and I, I always use this number. I'm like, man, I want a 500-person agency. But you know, I would really like to create that kind of a an agency that's doing really well. That the team members like are able to send their kids to college and go on vacations and do all these things. Like, I want that as an agency. Now, maybe what you're asking is, okay, but where do you see the future of your business going? from a services perspective, and if the answer to that question is, it's not inbound marketing. And and you'll see this over the next few weeks or so as we change our site and change our messaging, we are really going to be focused more on inbound as a, as a holistic term, which is going to wrap in inbound marketing and inbound sales and inbound design. And it's truly like just generating revenue as opposed to um, – just one piece of the puzzle, so to speak. Right, because one of the things is actually, it's funny, I talked to um, Jonathan Dane, who has a big, young, but very quickly growing PPC agency. And what he said that he did that sets him apart from a lot of the other agencies is he doesn't just say like, all right, I'm going to get you a bunch of leads. That's my success metric. He says, no, like if they don't know how to sell those leads, I'm not doing my job. And even if I am doing my like job as it's written out, they're not going to keep paying me if they're not actually making money from these leads. And it seems like you have kind of a similar conclusion with the inbound sales training is that if these leads aren't actually converting into sales, they're not going to keep paying you. Yeah. Yeah. So I learned that the hard way, right? One guy, we literally had like one client that he had a couple of salespeople in his, you know, one of which was the VP of sales and over the course of six months, we were crushing it. We took this company from zero leads and a complete, like almost no traffic to generating 50 to 60 leads a month, right? And, and so, but they weren't selling anything. And so I'm like, okay, what's going on? So I worked with the, the, their sales manager and, um, and built the processes, built the emails, built the phone calls scripts, right? Like built the entire inbound sales process for this guy, but the guy wouldn't pick up the phone. So I'm sitting at the end of this, whatever it was, call it six months with the CEO and the VP of sales of a team of two or three, right? Like, and I'm like, and the CEO is like, okay, but we haven't sold anything. And I'm like, well, here's all the leads and here's what we've done with them, you know, on top of what we should be doing with them. And, and, X person, I won't name this guy, like, what's happened with these, right? How come we haven't closed any of these? And and he turns to me and he goes, well, you know, would you mind picking up the phone and, and calling these people? And, and I'm like, I'm sorry, we can no longer work with you anymore. Like, if you literally can't pick up the phone and dial the leads that we've hand-delivered to you. As a salesperson. At, yeah. I'm like, that is insane. That's the extreme case, Right. But time and time again, that's what we're running into to a point where like moving forward, we're actually going to require with new clients that if they have a sales team, that they go through the new inbound sales training as a prerequisite before we'll actually start working with them because there's been such a disconnect. And we have modules now that we've built out for sales development um, training and also inbound sales um, module four to actually coach their sales team on how to deal with inbound leads and the right approach. 
Interesting. Because that's the thing is it goes back to what you were just talking about earlier about how at the end of the day, the bottom line, the ROI matters. You can talk about all the other metrics. You can talk about the number of leads generated. You can even talk about cost to acquire leads. You can get into whatever you want to get into. But at the end of the day, what matters is how much it costs to actually turn someone into a paying customer. And if if you're doing everything at the top of the funnel and it's on point, but everyone's leaking out before they become like actual customer, you're not going to be successful. And it's, it really is a holistic system once you add in the sales strength. So I'm, I'm going to be excited to see kind of how that all turns out. So this is something that you're going to be rolling out more aggressively soon or what's the timeline? Yeah. So we're putting, um, we're actually changing our messaging and, and changing our pricing and the way we operate um, this month. So hopefully by the middle of this month, we'll have new site up, you know, it, parts of a new site, I should say, have a new pricing model with different modules that addresses a couple different things, that being one of them, and offering those services, which we've offered at some, you know, at points with our clients over the last year already, but really clearly defining what those services are. And, you know, something that we do that might be a little bit different than some of the other agencies out there is we work on a month-to-month basis with our clients. So we don't do long-term contracts, so they can take us or leave us at any given month. And so for those modules and plugging those different services in, you might need a, an SDR, sales development rep training, and and us handling that for three months. But then you don't need it after that because you're doing stuff internally. Or same thing with sales training, right? Actual sales rep training or video services and those kinds of things. Um, so that's a, a different model for us to kind of plug that stuff in as needed. And hopefully it'll work out. We'll see. It's a little bit of a gamble, but we're going to try it. Yeah, and I mean, it's clearly an educated, well-thought-out gamble. So I'm excited to see how that turns out. For the HubSpot partner part, the Hub, yeah, there's 11 Diamond partners. And this is out of thousands in the partner program. But you're still talking as though, like, you're a new agency owner and like are still figuring things out every day. Like, is there a moment where you're just like, all right, like I got this. I, I know, I know what we're doing. Like, it seems like there's a little bit of like kind of the imposter syndrome at work here. Do you think there's a point where that goes away or do you almost hope it never does? Like, do you ever want to look back and say, like, there's nothing new to learn? Yeah. So we kind of, like about six months ago, about the beginning of this year, I had – I'm a ferocious reader and learner. And uh, and about the beginning of the year, um, I looked around and said, I've consumed absolutely everything from everybody, and there's no new ideas that are cropping up, right? And I'm like, okay. Uh, I, I'm like, I've graduated. Now it's time to make my own stuff, right? So – I did. I had that moment. Um, what I'm, you know, what we're talking about here is like iterating, right? Like up until last year, the end of last year, I always thought there were better ideas and somebody else had figured it out. And after consuming all that stuff for six years, I finally came to the realization that, hey, well, you know, there's new ideas that crop up. Like I've consumed the vast majority of them and there's no more excuses. Now I have to make, I have to make my own decisions, not based on what other processes have been put in place, whether it's HubSpot or another training module or whatever it's been, I've got to um, figure things out moving forward 
um, specifically for myself and stop trying to plug in other processes, right? And so that's helped. Now, it doesn't mean that you're not going to learn from your mistakes and pivot when things aren't working or, um, you know, the method or the strategy needs to change. But that feeling of, hey, I think somebody else has it figured out and I don't has gone away. No one should ever get to that point where they think there's nothing left to learn, but it's going from out of the book and into into practice and doing the iterating and kind of learning from experience. Yep, exactly. To wrap things up, Eric, you gave us a ton today. I'm sure you and I could talk for another few hours, but uh, where should people go to kind of see what you guys are up to at Blue Leads and, and follow what you're doing? Obviously, our website is a good place to start, right? www.blu leadz.com. They can always reach out to me on Twitter, you know, Eric underscore Baum, B-A-U-M. And then through LinkedIn is usually the best way to hit me and send me a message through LinkedIn. And, and I invite, you know, I talk to, on average, probably an agency owner every couple of weeks that um, calls out of the blue or sets up a time is like, hey, I'm struggling with this. What's been your experience on this? And I'm happy to talk, right? Happy to so I'm not in the um, business of charging for my time. I'm happy to help anybody that wants to listen, right? <laughs> if people do want to reach out and call you, how do they do that? I mean, they can just dial me directly on my cell phone or send me a text at uh, 727-214-7688. That's super generous of you, Eric. I can't thank you enough. So I won't put the phone number in the show notes. People have to listen to get that. Don't want you to get kind of overwhelmed with that. But I'll link up everything you said. And again, just want to say thanks again for coming on the show. Well, I appreciate you having me. Thank you. Eric really packed a lot of wisdom into that interview. And while there are dozens of important themes we discussed, there are four lessons that stood out to me. First, Grow your clients as your agency grows. Now, this is much, much easier to do with new clients rather than old clients, but if you're continuing to provide increasing value to your clients, which you should be, then your rate should reflect that. Second, for the most succinct way I've heard of describing how to build a sales pipeline, get found and build trust. Third, as you start working with larger companies and have points of contact that aren't the business owner, make sure you never lose sight of the real reason you were hired. But above all else, the most valuable lesson I learned from Eric was to put your ego aside and accept that there are people who have been there before. By seeking those people out and learning from them, you can avoid some of their same mistakes. And by always learning from those who have been there before, trying things out on his own, and constantly learning from the feedback and adjusting, Eric is now in the position to be sharing some of that advice himself. If you can adopt that mindset, you'll be more than prepared for the evolving problems you face as your agency grows. That's all I have for this week. If you enjoyed the show and learned something, head over to iTunes and leave a review. Tell me what it was that you learned. I love hearing from listeners and positive reviews help us grow our audience. So if you can take a second to do that, I'd really appreciate it. I'll talk to you next week. See ya.